sure they all have things they could be doing. But they chose to come to church on a Wednesday night to study your word. And Father, I pray that you would help me uh, to be able to uh, teach this passage in the way that you would have me to teach it. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon me. I pray that your Spirit would take control at this time, Lord, that I would say the things that you would have me to say, that I would not say those things that would be displeasing to you. And Father, I pray that we could learn from this as we go through it. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Matthew chapter 9, and tonight we're not going to deal with the entire chapter. We'll cover the rest of it uh, in the next week and maybe a couple weeks, seeing how it goes. But tonight, we're going to go through a very specific... Uh, uh, as you go through chapter 9, there, as you go through it, it, it seems to jump around a little bit, and there's, a re- there's reasons for that, but there's a theme carried through chapter 9, and I want to focus in on the theme of the chapter as we go through, uh, because of course, as you already know, we've announced a, a soul winning marathon, we're pushing a big soul winning marathon, and we've done soul winning marathons in the past that were kind of un- un- unofficial or unannounced, we had maybe people come from out of town that came specifically to Verity Baptist Church because they listened to preaching online and they know that we love soul winning, they, came, they come here to learn soul winning or to do soul winning with us, and because they're here, we'll get a big group together and go out, you know, throughout the week. We've had unofficial marathons like that, and we'll continue to have those as, as people come. Of course, we love to have friends come and visit with us. But this is kind of our first official soul winning marathon. And we want to teach and preach on the subject of soul winning. And as we come to chapter 9, there's a theme of soul winning throughout the passage. And I don't want to, I want to take the opportunity to kind of key in on it. We're going to be teaching about this. Tonight, and maybe in a couple weeks on a Sunday morning, a different aspect of soul winning won't be the same sermon, I promise. Just a different aspect of evangelism that we may talk about. But as, as you go through it, you need to understand this, okay? The purpose of the local New Testament church is to fulfill the Great Commission. The Lord Jesus Christ in, in multiple places gave us the great commission where He commanded us to go out into all the world. He said, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. He said to go to all nations, baptizing. He said, teaching to observe all things. He said the Holy Ghost would come upon us and we would be witnesses. He told us to go out and, and fulfill the great commission. And if you're not familiar with that concept, you know the great commission is when we go out and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We baptize them and then we bring them to church for the purpose of discipleship, for the purpose of teaching them to observe all things, for the purpose of teaching them what God wants them to do in their lives. And then we do it again. We go out and reach more people and bring them to church and get them baptized and teach them the Bible. And that is the point. That is the purpose of the church. That if, and if we don't do that, we, I know we talked about this on Sunday night, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but if we don't do that, then all we are is a social club. All we are is a bunch of friends gathering together and uh, listening to a speech. If we don't take the Word of God and take it to those that need it. Now, the problem that I have as a pastor is that my job is to prepare sermons, to prepare lessons, to prepare uh, uh, textual uh, uh, sermons from the Bible and attempt to motivate you. And attempt to challenge you, to encourage you, to teach you from the Bible that the Bible is the one that teaches us to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. The Bible is the one that teaches us to go out two by two from house to house, knocking on doors. The Jehovah's Witnesses did not come up with that. The Mormons did not come up with that. And you need to understand something about Satan. He always takes what God... 
invents and he makes a counterfeit. Okay? The Bible teaches us to go out and preach the gospel. The Bible. So my job and the problem that I have is, you know, trying to motivate people, trying to get people to to do it. And maybe you don't really understand the concept of soul winning. In Matthew chapter 9, we actually find a beautiful picture of soul winning that should explain to you how this all works. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, and he entered into a ship and passed over and came into a city. Now this is not part of the sermon, but I just want to bring your attention to this. Remember last week we talked about the fact that Jesus went literally across the Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, went through a storm, went through a hurricane for to reach one individual or two individuals, demon possessed man, to reach them with the gospel. Okay, now notice that that was the story in chapter 8, verse 1. He enters into the ship, passed over, and came back to his own city. So the, in the Bible, it almost seems like the only reason he went was to get that guy. And as soon as he got him saved, he's like, okay, let's go home. I have nothing to do here. You know, he, he would travel that far to reach one individual. But in verse 2 it says, he gets back to his own city, and behold, they. Now you got to understand this. The they there represent the soul winners, okay? Behold, they brought to him. The him there is Jesus Christ, the Savior. So they brought to him, the soul winners brought to the Savior, a man. That man represents the sinner. So how do you know that was a sinner? He was sick of the palsy. And we all have a sin sickness that uh, we were born with. It says, lying on a bed. Now, palsy is paralysis. It's the loss of the ability to move. Uh, This guy was paralyzed. And this guy was paralyzed, could not move, could not get himself to Jesus Christ. So they brought him, the soul winners brought him to Jesus, the Savior. They brought the sinner. And why did they bring him? Look what it says. It's an illustration of salvation. They says, sick of the palsy, lying on the bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Do you see that? So they, the soul winners, brought him, the sinner, to him, the Savior, for the purpose of that thy sins be forgiven thee, salvation. That's a picture of soul winning. And by the way, that's what you and I do. We go out and we find sinners and bring them to Jesus Christ, the Savior. And keep your finger there in Matthew 9. Go to Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter 2. Keep your finger to Matthew 9, obviously as a text for tonight. But Mark chapter 2 gives us the same story, a parallel passage, but it gives us a few more details that are kind of interesting. you got to understand this. Soul winning is not easy. Sometimes it's a lot of work. And sometimes it requires some uh, perseverance and determination. In Mark chapter 2, and by the way, keep your finger or bulletin or uh, bookmark or something in Mark 2, because we're going to be going back and forth a little bit. But look at verse number 1, it says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they came unto him. Now look what it says, Bringing one sick of the posse, which was born of four. So here the Bible tells us, there was four of them. And they bring one man, and he was sick of the palsy, he was paralyzed. Look what it says, verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. Jesus is preaching in a house, and a word gets out that Jesus is back in town. He's preaching, and people start coming to hear him preach. And there's a huge multitude there. And these four soul winners are carrying this man in his bed, in his couch. They are carrying this man to Jesus, but they cannot get in the house because there's so many people there. It's packed. And they, and they, and they think, well, we got the sinner. The, the, we're, we're here, the soul winners. But the Savior's in there. We can't get to him. Now, notice what they did. Look, look at verse 
3 again. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, look what it says. They uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, so they said, one of them, you know, gets an idea and they say, I know what to do. Get that crippled guy up on that roof. <laughs> I'm sure the other three are thinking, okay. <laughs> But they, they get up on the roof, they carry him up there, they break the roof apart, they open it up. Now look what it says. Jesus is in the house, right? He's probably in the center. He's preaching, he's teaching. All of a sudden the light opens, you know, and they, maybe they thought like, oh, God is appearing or something. And the roof opens, the light comes through, and he comes down this crippled man on his bed. I mean, look what it says. They uncovered the roof where he was. And when he had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy lay. They lay him down right in front of Jesus Christ. And when he saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. That's a picture of soul winning. That's what you and I do. Not literally, physically. But we go find people that need a Savior. They are sinners in need of a Savior. And we bring them to Jesus Christ. And He forgives their sins. And He saves them. Now here's the problem. You, do you understand what soul winning is now? That's what we do. We go out, we find people. We're not harassing people. We're not bothering people. We're inviting people to church. And then we seek to catch those and find those that would like to be introduced to Jesus Christ. And we bring them to Christ. Amen. Now the problem is this. Soul winning requires a lot of time. And we're busy. You're busy. You have work, you have family, you have a lot of things you're doing. Soul winning requires stepping out into a, 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 a stepping out of your comfort zone. If you've never gone soul winning before, if you're, you're probably thinking, well, I don't know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little, we, we wouldn't want to admit it, but, you know, you might say I'm a little embarrassed. What if I knock on someone's door that I know? You know, what are they going to think? You know, soul winning requires a little bit of confidence. Often people think, well, what if I'm asked a question and I don't know how to answer it? You know, or uh, soul winning requires uh, a little bit of, uh, you need to be a certain type of person who just really doesn't doesn't care what people think. You know, you, you don't care. Because as soon as you say, uh, uh, you know, you're already here on a Wednesday night, so your family and friends already think you're weird. Okay, let me just break it. <laughs> you're going to church again on a Wednesday night? But if you take that step to say, you know, your, your, your mom or your dad or your uncle or your friend or your neighbor, is going to say, wait a minute, you're going to go do what? I'm going to go knock on a stranger's door and attempt to preach the gospel to them. And they're going to say, are you in a cult? <laughs> okay? I understand that. I mean, I understand why you may not want to go soul winning. I get it. It's hard. It, it, it's, it's a little bit out of your comfort zone. Okay? But you need to understand that God's focus... And Christ's focus has always been on the subject of reaching the lost. Amen. Go back to Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 3. God focuses, by the way, on the salvation of a soul over the welfare of the flesh. Jesus, they bring the man of posse down to him and what does he do? Does he heal him? He did not heal him. He said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. He saved him. Now here's what's interesting about the story. Verse 3. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves. Now these guys are thinking in their head. They haven't said anything out loud. They're saying within themselves. They're thinking in their minds. They said, This man blasphemeth. 
And in another passage it says, you know, he's, he makes himself God because only God can forgive sins. And they're absolutely right. Only God can forgive sins. That's right. A man cannot forgive your sins. Today there are religions that teach you go into some closet with some guy and you tell him your sins and he's going to forgive you of your sins. Only God can forgive sins. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Don't come to Pastor Jimenez saying, Pastor, I need to confess my sins to you. I'm a sinner like you and I can't forgive you of your sins. No one can. Only God can. So the Pharisees were partly right. They said, well, only God can forgive sins. What they were wrong about is they didn't realize that Jesus was God. That's why Jesus could forgive sin. But notice what happens. Verse 3, And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemed And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said... Now, you've got to understand how crazy this would be, okay? He says, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Okay, they think in their head. They don't say anything. They're sitting there. They're in the crowd. Jesus, the guy comes down. Jesus says, I sins be forgiven thee. And a few guys in the back are thinking in their head, This guy's blaspheming. And Jesus responds to their thoughts. That's right. Isn't that interesting? He says... He says, wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? I mean, could you imagine that? I mean, wouldn't you be kind of shocked? Like, whoa, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I mean, he's having a dialogue with their thoughts. Now notice what he says, verse 5. For whether is easier to say. He said, why do you think evil in your heart? Is it easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee? Or to say, arise and walk? Because this man was paralyzed. He said, is it easier to forgive his sins and say, thy sins be forgiven thee? Or is it easier to tell him, arise and walk? Now notice verse 6, and don't miss it. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to heal bodies. Is that what it says? No. He says that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power to, what's that say? Forgive sins. Now do you see that? He says that you may know that I can save a soul, that I can forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy. He looks at, down at that man and he says, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And he arose and departed uh, to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. So Jesus heals the body to prove to them, if I can heal a body, I can save a soul. Okay, but here's what you understand. The emphasis is on saving the soul, not healing the body. You understand that? He said, the only reason I'm going to heal this body right now is to show you that I can forgive sin. But his priority was always in forgiving sin. And you need to understand this about Verity Baptist Church. We are a very unbalanced church. We focus on soul money at Verity Baptist Church. I don't know if you've noticed that. Amen. We focus on the salvation of soul. I, I, I came to the point as a leader and I realized that I, there's not a lot of things I can do. There's not a lot of things I'm good at. And if I attempt to do a lot of things, I'm going to end up not doing anything right. But if our church can focus on a few things and do those things well, I'd rather focus on the few things that are the most important than trying to do a whole lot of things. You got to understand this about Verity Baptist Church. You know, we may not have a, a can drive and we may not ever go out and feed the homeless and we might not ever go out and put coats on people that are cold and we may never, never have a big old, uh, you know, Easter drama and we may not do a lot of things, but we are going to focus on the most important thing, which is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus put the emphasis on the soul being saved than on the body being healed. And I'm not against, you know, uh, I, I'm all for it. I've had people approach me about doing things for homeless and I, I tell people, every time they tell me this, I tell them the same thing. 
Our church will do that if, number one, you do all the work, because I'm not going to do it. And I don't mean that in a rude way. You say, you got something against homeless people? I don't have anything against homeless people. I'm just, I just got done telling you. There's only so many things I can do. And I'm going to focus on those which have eternal value. Amen. And I, t- I told people, we'll do it as long as you do all the work, number one. And number two, as long as the purpose is to bring them to a place so that we can let our soul winners out of them. Amen. Because the purpose is to get people saved. We're very unbalanced. We're focused on one thing. We don't, I don't really know how to do a lot of children's ministries, and I don't really know how to do a lot of dramas, and I may not be good at a lot. You know, we might not have all the fancy lights and all those things. It might not be like a disco in here when you walk in like some churches, but we know how to do one thing is get people saved. We know how to train soul winners. We know how to knock doors. And you understand this. This is what Christ came to do. Look at verse 9. And as Jesus passed from them, she saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of costume. And he said unto them, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So he's sitting there. He's uh, having dinner with publicans and sinners and, and people that, that may not be the best ones that you might want to spend time with. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why did your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They, now here you understand this. Jesus was spending time with people that you may look at and think like, why are you spending time with those people? Do you know what those people do? Do you know what those people smoke? Do you know what those people drink? And why are you with those people? And here's what he said. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Verse 13. But go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Now notice this. Don't miss this. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Keep your finger there in Matthew 9. Go, go, to, go to Luke chapter 19. You should have your finger or something in Mark. I understand that. But go to Luke 19. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Why did Jesus Christ come? Of course He came to die for the sins of the world. We understand that. And by the way, that's part of soul winning too. He had to do that in order for us to get saved. Okay, but you know, you say, well, He came to be a good example. He came to tell us a lot of good uh, parables. He came to give us a lot of good teachings. He was a good prophet. He was a good man. And he, and he did. He was all of those. He was also God in the flesh. Do you understand that? But Jesus Himself said, Luke 19, look at verse 10. Luke 19. For the Son of Man, notice what He said. Is, the Son of Man is a reference to Himself. He says, for the Son of Man, here's why He came, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to die on the cross, to be buried, to rise from the grave. Why? So that I could seek and save that which was lost. And by the way, He then gave you and I the ministry of reconciliation. And what is our job? It is to seek and to save that which is lost. And if, and if we don't take part of that, then we miss the boat. That's what Christ came to do. Now here's a problem. Skip down to verse number 36. The problem is this, there is more work than there are workers. There's more to do than we have people to do it. In verse 36 it says, But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, notice what he says, and this is, you understand, this is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. This is not a pastor, a, a, a man like you and I. This is God. And he, he Himself, Jesus, looked at the multitude and He made the statement. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous. 
He says there's enough harvest, there, there's enough people that want to get saved, that are ready to get saved, that can get saved. He said we can bring in a great harvest. He said we can bring in a great crop. He said the harvest is plenteous, but here's the problem, the laborers are few. Jesus said I don't have enough workers to bring in the harvest that's out there. You've you got to understand this. There's more work than there are workers. So what do you do? You recruit people. Is that not what Christ did? Look at verse 9. Go back to, to verse 9, Matthew 9, 9. And as Jesus passed from thence, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. You know, that's, by the way, the Matthew who wrote the Gospel according to Matthew. And He said to him, Jesus, this guy's at work. Remember, he's a, remember when we talked about Zacchaeus? This guy's a publican. He's sitting at work at the receipt of custom, taking people's money. Jesus walks up to him on the job. It's, it's, it's always interesting how Jesus always calls people while they're at work. That's just interesting to me. And he says, follow me. And he arose and followed him. In other passages, Christ would say, you know, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, Jesus, he, he had a one-track mind. If he would have gone to his church, I don't know that he would have had a lot of children's ministries either. If he, if he would have came to his church, he might have not had a lot of activities. If you would have came to his church, he might not have had a lot of Easter dramas. I mean, you know, Easter hadn't happened yet, but you know what I mean? If you would have came to his church, there might not have been a Christmas cantata. You know, celebrating his birth. <laughs> you guys need to wake up, or really. But you know what there would have been? A soul winning ministry. Amen. And what was he actively doing? Recruiting. Finding people. Saying, follow me. He says, look, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He said, look, come, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Here's a question, and honestly, I, I, I don't plan on preaching very long tonight. I'm, I'm almost done, honestly. I have one focus tonight. Would you volunteer to be a laborer? Amen. He said, as Jesus, verse 9, as Jesus passed from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of costume, and he said that to him. He said, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And Jesus Christ says the same thing to you tonight. He says, follow me, and you get a choice whether you're going to follow him or not. And look, if you say, I'm not ready, I'm not ready to be a soul winner, I can't do it. Look, you, you sit there, that's fine, we still love you, we still care for you, we don't think badly of you, we'll give you all the time you need. But I'm asking this, is there anyone who would say, I'm ready, I'm willing, I'm wanting, I want to do it? Amen. Now look, I know it requires stepping out of your comfort zone. You need to understand this about soul winning. It requires faith. It requires faith to think, I'm going to go knock on someone's door, a perfect stranger, and get them saved. But look, it requires faith for these guys. That remember the guys that brought the man sick of the policy? Go back to verse number two. Let me show let me show you something. Matthew nine two. And behold, they brought him a man sick of the policy lying on a bed, and Jesus seeing uh, their faith. You see that? Matthew nine two. And behold, they brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying on the bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Whose faith did Jesus see? Not his faith. Not the sick man's faith. He saw their faith. He said, look, if you got enough faith to go out and bring somebody to me, he said, I can do the rest. I'll take care of the rest. You understand? It takes faith. You say, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know what people are going to think. What's my husband going to think? What's my wife going to think? What are my kids going to think? What if I know I'm going to be sore? What if I know? What if it's my boss? You ever thought of that? 
I know you just got to step up, I think. Because it requires faith. But you got to understand this. Without faith, it is impossible to please. Amen. Bible says, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It takes faith to go forward. I understand. I just want to encourage you. Would you volunteer? Amen. You say, what else could you do? You could pray. Look at Matthew 9.38. Jesus said the, the harvest was plenteous. He says the laborers are few. Verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. One of the most consistent prayers that I've had as a, as a pastor of Ready Baptist Church for the last three and a half years that we've been in ministry, one of the most consistent prayers that I've had for God is that He would send us laborers. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. And by the way, God has answered that prayer through you. God has sent the laborers, I'm looking at them, And you're looking at them. And, and, and the question is this, are you ready to volunteer? Are you ready to work? You know, I, I want to encourage you, and honestly, you don't have to do it tonight, but I want to encourage you, take that communication card. Don't just think, ah, oh, that's another thing. Take it home, think about it, pray about it. You know, look at it, fill it out. See, honestly, pick a day, say, you, I can do I can do it, I can go. On Friday, I will go. On Saturday, I will go. Mark it down, put it in the offering plate on something. Hand it to me. Hand it to one of the ushers. It's fine. I, here's what I'm asking. Would you consider doing what Christ wants you to do, which is to win souls? That's what He came to do. To seek and to save. Would you consider stepping out? You say, I know it's uncomfortable. Just do it. Here's, here's, here's the challenge. I'm not asking you to be a soul winner for the rest of your life. Now, you should be a soul winner for the rest of your life, but I'm not going to ask you. Right? I'm going to ask you, would you go on the week of the marriage? Would you say, I'll do it. Maybe, maybe you say, Pastor, I'm a soul winner. Maybe stepping out by faith for you means taking a day off of work and spending a whole day soul winning, working for God. Maybe stepping out by faith for you is, is going more than 59 minutes and 59 seconds. I don't, I don't know where you're at. I'm just saying this. Would you step out? Would you do it? Go back to Mark chapter 2. Just for, we're, we're almost done. I told you, I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching very long tonight. Mark chapter 2. I wonder what could happen if a church... I'm not talking about a big church. I'm talking about our church. I'm talking about our Wednesday night crowd. I'm talking about the people that would take time out of their schedule to be in church on a Wednesday night. I wonder what would happen if these people got serious about praying that God would bring us laborers, that God would give us a vision that God would give us a burden to go out and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we would do it. Are you there in Mark 2.11? Look what he says. I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. Now notice what happens. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth. You have a man sick of the palsy, is what verse 3 says. Paralysis. The loss of the ability to move. And sometimes the loss of feeling. In part or most of the body. Typically as a result of illness, poison, or injury. You, you, you say, well, I don't know. I'm not feeling this, Pastor. I know you're, you're good and you're trying to get us emotionally wrapped up in this. Okay, I get it. But see, if you saw things the way Christ sees them, 
See, you, 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 I don't know if you understand this, I don't know if you know this, but there are paralyzed people in this society. I'm not talking about physically, but there are people who are in marriages that are falling apart and they feel paralyzed. They have children that have gone to the world and they feel paralyzed. There are people that are scared to death, to die. They, their lives are falling apart financially physically, their health. There are people that would come to Christ, but they just don't know how. And they just feel like, I can't make that step. And they just need somebody to carry enough to carry. This guy wanted to be healed, but he couldn't get there. He needed the four. And Jesus, what does he do? He saves his soul, but notice, he saves his soul, but that's not all he does. He transforms his life. He gives them a renewed physical life when He gave them a new life. I wonder what we could do. I wonder how many transformed lives we could see. I wonder... And here's what's interesting to me about this story. Look look at verse 12 and we're done. Just look at verse 12. That's the last verse I'll be looking at. And immediately arose and took the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch as they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, now don't miss this phrase, this is what they said, same story, this guy just got healed, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. They said, we've never seen this. Now look, I understand that probably the majority of that context was about the fact that this man got healed. But but, but you got to keep in mind, up to this point, have we not seen Jesus heal a lot of people? And these people said, we've seen Jesus preach, we've seen Jesus heal, but we've never seen it like this. I wonder if they were referring to the fact, we've never seen four people care so much about an individual that they would carry him up to a room, break up the ceiling, and bring this man down to Jesus Christ. I wonder if they thought, I've seen Jesus heal bodies, but I saw him save a soul, and then heal a body. I don't, I don't know, but what could happen in Sacramento? What could happen in Natomas? What could happen in this community? If people got on fire and said, I'm going to go find someone that cannot get to Christ on their own. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know what the Bible says. They need somebody to bring them, bear them to Jesus Christ. What would happen if you and I did that? I don't know. This is what I think would happen. There would be grandparents and uncles and aunts and neighbors and co-workers and friends... And people that may never come to this church and may never come to a service here, but they would say this, I never saw it on this fashion. See, I've never seen people care so much about the salvation of an individual that they would work so hard to go out and find people who need Jesus Christ. I'm just asking, would you volunteer? Will you pray about it? You say, when's the soul winning marathon? It's a couple weeks from now. Would you pray that God would bring us laborers and would some of you answer that prayer by being the labor? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. And Lord, I understand that the sermon was probably very basic. It just happens. And I know nothing just happens. But it just happened to be that we were in Matthew 9 at the time that we needed to be in Matthew 9. And Lord, I ask that you would please help us Help us to get a burden for souls. Help us to realize that you came to save individuals. And I know it's work. And I know it's time. And I know we're busy. We have people have jobs and, and, and people have families and, and they've got commitments. I, I know. 
And it's hard because we've never done it before and, and, and we feel silly and, and we don't know what we might say and, and there's a tension there. But I wonder what would happen if we would step out by faith. If we would pray for boldness. If we would help somebody come to Christ. But I pray you'd help our church. Help us to get excited. Help us to not just get uh, just satisfied with what we've done, but to get excited to see more people come to Jesus Christ. Thank you for the labors you've given us, Father. Help us stay faithful. Help us to stay committed. We love you. Amen.